1: Even hardened genre fans will find themselves whimpering at each new revelation. Publishers Weekly. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Infected is a marvel of gonzo in-your-face up-to-the-minute terror. Lincoln Child, New York Times bestselling author of Relic and the Pendergrass series. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Realm Presents Remade, Season 2, Episode 11
2: Cole started with the hall closet. Frantic, he shoved aside hangers full of coats just taking up space now in August. Bethany's mom had marked every box labeling each one in her careful, looping handwriting. Books, movies, etc., family photos. Cole tore open the box labeled Mementos and found a bunch of Dwayne's old comics. Why anyone would want to hold on to those things was way beyond Cole. But Bethany's family was weirdly sentimental about stuff. He didn't bother closing up the box. He didn't even shut the closet door. Where the hell is it? Cole headed out to the garage, but he was walking too fast and stubbed his toe on an old chest of drawers. The thing was solid cherry wood and weighed a ton. The kind of furniture that would stay with the house long after Bethany's family had moved on. On a whim, Cole opened the chest of drawers. He'd seen Bethany messing around in there last week. And there it was. Cole let out a huge sigh of relief. Jesus, all this fuss, just for a stupid- A terrible scream came from the upstairs bedroom. It was unlike anything he'd heard before. Deep, full of pain, but strength, too. And it sent Cole running like hell. He should have sent someone else to search. What was he thinking, leaving at a time like that? But who would he have sent? Dwayne? Bethany's brother was about as useless as they came in a crisis. Couldn't be trusted with the simplest of... Another scream set Cole's feet to climbing the steps two at a time. Three. He stumbled, halfway up, and nearly lost his balance altogether. Wouldn't that have been a thing, breaking a leg at a time like this? But he grabbed the railing to steady himself and kept moving. At the top of the landing, he spotted Duane and his girlfriend, Missy, waiting anxiously outside the door. Hell, Duane looked green enough to puke. Cole's own stomach gave a lurch as he paused outside the bedroom door. Shit, what if he dropped him? Cole, said Missy. She's waiting for you. Right. He worked up a smile and pushed open the door. The first thing that struck him was the mix of smells, coppery blood and sour sweat. Bethany's long blonde hair was plastered across her forehead, and her cheeks had a chalky look. Cole, she murmured. He hurried to her side. Bethany's mom held a wet towel to her daughter's head. She offered Cole a cool look, but he ignored it. I'm here, baby, said Cole. Marcy, their doula, lifted the sheet. She's close,
1: we're almost there.
2: Bethany let out another scream as contractions racked her body. Cole held her hand. He showed her the sky blue baby blanket he'd brought, stained and yellowed at the edges with the years. It smelled like mothballs. I found it, it was in that old chest of drawers. Bethany nodded, but she couldn't talk. The veins in her neck looked like ropes drawn taut as she bore down for another push. It hurt so much to watch her in pain like this. He cursed the moment Bethany had ever heard of a doula. He hated Bethany's new hippie friends at the birthing classes, and he hated himself for agreeing to do this the natural way. He should have fought for the drugs, goddammit. He should have fought for a hospital instead of a bedroom. A cry ripped out of her like a bleeding lamb at the slaughter. She squeezed his hand until it hurt. Cole snapped at Marcy. Do something, damn it! Cole! warned Bethany's mom. But the doula calmly replied, It's time. Come here. They'd piled the floor around the bed high with blankets, which were stained now with blood and amniotic fluid. Cole felt dizzy. Marcy worked between Bethany's legs. One more push, Bethany! Now, another cry, a splash of water hitting the floor, then a different cry altogether.
1: Cole, said Marcy, the scissors, please. Scissors, shit, where'd he put them? On the dresser?
2: There they were, a pair of big black-handled scissors, the kind a schoolteacher would keep in her desk. Quickly, he handed them to Marcy, handle first. No, she said, they're for you cut right here. He couldn't quite comprehend the scene. The baby squirming in Marcy's hands looked like a purple doll covered in lard. Dumbly, Cole opened the scissors and cut the umbilical cord about an inch from the baby's belly. It was tougher than he'd expected, like a garden hose. Good, Marcy was saying. Now the blanket. Cole held out the blanket, suddenly worried about the mothball smell. He shouldn't have forgotten it. He should have found it sooner, let it have a chance to air out. Gently, Marcy placed the baby in Cole's arms and swaddled it loosely in the blanket. There, she said with a smile. Now it's your wife's turn. She did all the work. Bethany was still chalk white, but she was smiling wide as he laid their baby boy on her breast. Colton, she whispered.
1: Hello there.
2: Cole wrapped his arm around his wife and son. The days lifted and it all came out. Months of worry bursting forth in a great rush. The doctor's appointments, all the classes and countless lectures from everyone Cole knew about how hard it would be to be a teenage father. How easy it would be to run away from his responsibilities. Those voices quieted. His mother-in-law and Marcy faded into the background. The earth... Fell away beneath him, the walls and roof of the farmhouse disappeared. It was just him, Bethany, and this brand new baby boy, Colton.
1: We're okay,
2: Bethany whispered as Cole buried his head in her shoulder and cried. We're all okay. Someone was screaming. One of the girls, maybe Amelia? God, the look on Holden's face when Inez and the others showed up at Sanctuary's door, especially when he saw Saya. It was such a lovesick puppy. Cole, on the other hand, couldn't care less. The others had made their decision to stay behind, and he'd respected that. Maybe he respected them a little less now that they'd come running. It didn't make much difference. But did a few more people matter, or a few less? Jing Wei, though, she was a different story. She was supposed to be dead. But now she'd been remade a second time by supposedly good caretakers? Cole had kept his distance from this new Jing Wei. He didn't want to think about what her appearance might mean for the rest of them. A second cry echoed through Sanctuary's dark hallways and Cole checked the load on his bolt gun. It was a snub nosed weapon about the length of a sawed off shotgun, easily carried, but it still packed a punch. When Sunita showed them the weapons locker, Loki and a few of the others had chosen energy guns. But Cole felt more comfortable with a gun that actually fired something like bullets. He'd grown up with firearms, unlike most of the rest. Loki seemed to know his way around a gun, but the rest of them were as likely to blow their own feet off as hit a caretaker. Now they were running around with energy guns? And people wondered why Cole liked to go out on his own. Amelia screamed again. It came from the nearby cafeteria, but Cole didn't hurry. He took the steps one at a time, his soft-soled shoes barely making a sound on the metal grates. Bethany had always chided him for wearing his cowboy boots in the house because the hard soles scuffed the floors. But he'd liked the sound of those boots on wood. It was stupid, but the click of his boots had always made Cole think of the westerns he'd watched as a kid. When the sheriff would strut across the saloon floor to face down some villain or another, good guys and bad guys, white hats and black hats. Soundlessly, Cole emerged onto a balcony overlooking the cafeteria. A few of the tables were overturned and chairs had been scattered here and there. In the corner, Amelia fought as a shiny black robot wrapped its tentacles around her arms and waist. These caretakers weren't the murder bots that had chased them all these hundreds of miles. If Cole understood it right, these were maintenance bots by and large, drones. Some of them were little more than glorified vacuum cleaners. Sunita called them puppets, but they were more than that. They were part of Ozymandias, extensions of the dominant AI that controlled sanctuary. And like fingers on a hand, they did what Oz wanted. And right now, Oz wanted this rebellion to end. Holden and the others had badly misjudged the AI when they'd made their bid to escape this place. They'd assumed that the only caretakers at Oz's disposal were the ones they'd already seen. Well, that bubble burst the minute Sunita broke open the weapons locker, because that was when Sanctuary began to swarm with new machines. Now every single machine in this place was of a mind to stop anyone from leaving. Hell. Cole wouldn't be surprised if the coffee makers joined the fight. Amelia stopped struggling and fell limp in the caretaker's arms. The robot lifted her gently and carried her toward the far door. Cole had a shot. With its back to him, he'd have a good chance of not hitting Amelia. He lifted his gun and took aim, but didn't pull the trigger. Where was Oz taking her? Was the AI preparing some kind of cell for all his bad little children? A prison within a prison? The cafeteria door below burst open, Loki came through the doorway, an energy gun in his hands, even as a second shape approached from behind. The puppet caretaker whirled to face Loki, pulling Amelia closer to it. The machine didn't see Umta creeping up behind it. She brought a metal wrench down hard on its dome head. The dome cracked under the weight of her blow and let out a shower of sparks and a spray of some kind of oily fluid. The wounded caretaker went haywire, dropping Amelia and flailing its metal tentacles around wildly. Loki took a glancing blow to the face and went down. Umta managed to roll out of danger, but there was no way she could get close enough now for a second strike. Cole took aim, like shooting cans in the woods. The recoil was gentler than he'd expected, and the bolt gun fired with a soft pop like a pellet gun. The bolt opened an apple-sized hole in what was left of the caretaker's head. The whirling. Crazed caretaker tumbled over in a mess of scorched metal and dripping wires. Cole took the stairs down faster than he'd climbed them, and when he got to the cafeteria, Umta was tending to Amelia, who was still unconscious. Loki had a nasty welt across his cheek, but otherwise looked unhurt. How is she? Cole asked.
1: I think she's going to be okay,
2: answered Loki. Hard to tell for sure, though. Oz wouldn't want to hurt her, said Cole. That's not what he's up to. Umta growled, he wants to keep us caged. The remade cavewoman, or whatever she was, always watched Cole in a way that made him uncomfortable. It wasn't just that she was damn ugly, which she was. It was how she looked at you, like she was listening to something other than your words, to something underneath them. Cole, a voice called from behind them, and Cole was actually relieved for once to see Holden hurrying through the door. We were looking for you. His voice trailed off when he spotted Amelia on the floor. Oh No, she's okay, Loki assured him. Cole popped that bot over there just in time. Cole watched Holden feel for Amelia's pulse. He knew most of the group looked up to Holden as a leader, but Holden was mostly talk. And most of the time he had no idea what he was talking about. At least we're all accounted for, Holden was saying. Where have you been, Cole? Cole realized that all eyes were on him. What were they thinking, finding him alone like this? Cole met their curious stares head on. Someone's gotta watch our rear. I was worried that Oz might send a few of his drones sneaking around from behind. Looks like I was right, huh? Inez is leading the others, Holden said quietly. They're fighting floor by floor. Oz has already captured Alex, May, and Sebastian. They need all the help they can get. Then why aren't you all helping out? asked Cole. You get lost? No one answered him right away. Cole knew he was onto something. They weren't lost. They were on a mission. Look, he said. If you're thinking a storm in the front doors, those are six inches of titanium steel. You're never gonna get through, and Oz won't open them just because you act nicely. And even if he does, we can't leave without the others. Holden nodded. I know. We have a plan. Cole crossed his arms. I'm all ears. He caught the glance Holden exchanged with Umta and Loki. They were a secretive bunch, these three, always willing to let people run into danger for them without sharing everything they knew. Inez was little better, plus she was way more of the in-your-face type. Naveya had been the only one who'd come close to understanding Cole. For a while, she seemed to get where he was coming from. But since arriving in Sanctuary, things had turned sour. She was too busy making puppy eyes at Holden. Wouldn't back off when Cole had told her to. Then he'd lost his temper and scared her. He still felt sick about that. Cole would never hurt a woman, never. But things had gotten so bent out of shape lately. White hats and black hats. You three don't want to tell me your plan, that's fine, said Cole. I'll find my own damn way out of here. Holden watched him for a moment. Honestly? You've been so busy looking out for yourself lately that I wasn't sure what to think. You've been disappearing, not talking to any of us? Cole chewed on his lip. He wanted to tell Holden to go to hell, maybe punch that smug face of his. But instead, he looked away and said, You're right. It's being hard on me in here. But I'm still one of you. Us? Hell, I just saved Amelia from that puppet. If you're doing something to get us out of here, I want to be a part of it. Holden glanced at Loki, who shrugged. Whatever Umta was thinking, she didn't let on. Okay, Holden nodded slowly. This place has done a number on all of us. But I think I know a way out of here. See, we figure Ozymandias isn't that different from Arcadia. Except instead of controlling a city, he controls this bunker. I think it stands to reason that he'd have a CPU like she did, a brain. Makes sense, I guess. Holden nodded. And Arcadia showed me how to turn that brain off. I bet I could do the same thing to Oz. Look. He unfolded a roughly drawn map of the bunker and spread it out on one of the cafeteria tables. Sunita helped me with this. All those days spent jumping around in here. She was keeping track of what she saw. Holden pointed to a junction on the lowest level, an empty spot on the map. This is the one place we haven't been to. Oz wouldn't let Sunita even get close. I'm betting Oz's brain is there, so that's where we're headed. Loki looked at Cole. If you want to help, you can stay here with Amelia until she wakes up, then get her back to the others. They were watching him. Cole knew what they were thinking because whenever people met Bethany and Cole together, their first impressions were always the same. What was such a bright, pretty girl, an honor roll student doing with a dumb, lumbering farmhand? But that first impression never stood the light of day, because those who knew Cole really knew him, understood that he'd long ago learned that no matter how hard he tried, people would judge him a certain way by his accent, by the dirt under his fingernails. It didn't matter what he did so he used it. He let people underestimate him at the start, because that always gave him a leg up in the end. Hell, it had worked on Bethany. She liked to tease him by saying he wooed her on the sly, that if they hadn't grown up across the street from each other, she would have gone running for the hills. Then she laughed and kissed him and told him that she thanked God every day for keeping her from running. And Cole told her it didn't matter anyhow, because he'd have found her anyway. Anywhere, they were meant to be. She liked it when he talked like that. Cole, said Holden, can you look after Amelia, can you do that? Cole scratched his beard. God, Bethany hated beards, he should shave.
1: No, I'm coming with you. Wait a minute, said Loki. We do not need you, said Umta. But
2: Cole smiled and shook his head. Underestimate it again. Yes, you do. Because I've been down there where your map doesn't show. You're right, there's a door Oz doesn't want anyone to know about. I've seen it. And I can take you straight to it.
0: As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify. shopify.com slash realm You've probably heard
3: the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled, or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part mini-series about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But...
2: The look on Duane's face when Cole told him he was shopping for a yoga ball. But it was working. Cole felt like a horse's ass bouncing up and down on the damn thing and singing. But little Colton's eyes were drooping. After being fed, burped, changed, and swaddled, Cole's baby boy was going to sleep. Finally. The song was somewhere over the rainbow, but Cole could never get the words just right, so he hummed the song instead. It was one of Bethany's favorites, especially the version sung by that big Hawaiian guy. He kept humming as he walked over to Colton's crib and tucked him in. Then he just stood there, watching his baby boy sleep. First few weeks, Cole kept waking up every ten minutes to check on him, even if the baby wasn't crying. Someone had said once that having a kid was like wearing your heart outside of your body, and Cole had to agree. It was exhausting loving a thing that much. Not that these last six months had been anything to cheer about. Bethany's problems breastfeeding had taken a real toll on her and made her postpartum depression that much worse. In the end, Cole had been the one to insist on two things, a shrink and formula. He wasn't sure what the shrink did, but maybe just having someone other than Cole and her mom to talk to helped Bethany come out the other side. And the formula? was a godsend. This had been Cole's world for the last six months. Bottles, lactation, the Ferber method. If Cole's dad had been alive to see him like this, the old man would have laughed and called him a pussy, which to Cole's mind meant he was doing things right. Whenever Cole heard his father's ghost whispering directions in his ear, he took the opposite path. Cole winced as the nursery door squeaked when he pulled it closed. He really needed to oil that hinge. The house had been in Bethany's family for years, but Cole longs to have a place of their own. This weekend, Bethany's parents were in Abilene visiting relatives, and Cole relished the privacy. It was hard for a man to live under a roof that wasn't his own. He waited at the bedroom door and listened for a count of ten, but little Colton stayed quiet. When Cole tiptoed down the stairs, he found the living room lights were off. Strange. Bethany? He looked in the kitchen, but she wasn't there either. It wasn't until he spotted the glow of candles out on the porch that he realized what was going on. They'd talked about it, but hadn't set a firm date. Cole had to laugh at himself. No one had warned him that having a baby meant your life would become consumed by schedules waking, feeding, napping. But there were some things that shouldn't need planning. Bethany was trying to tell him that, he figured. He could see her through the window sitting on the porch swing. She had changed into one of his favorite sundresses, the yellow one with the strings instead of shoulder straps. He used to joke that it was his favorite because he could get it off real easy. Well, it was sort of a joke. Quickly, he ducked into the bathroom and gurgled a sip of mouthwash. Looking himself over in the mirror, he spotted a yellow spot of spit up on his collar, that wouldn't do. He started to take off his shirt, but then realized he was wearing a sleeveless tee underneath. Didn't they call them wife beaters? Jesus, that wouldn't do at all. He dabbed the hand towel in sink water and rubbed furiously at the spot on his shirt. Maybe in the candlelight, Bethany wouldn't notice. His cowlick was standing up, and the more he tried to pat it down, the worse it got. Was that a zit coming in on his forehead? Cole took a deep breath. This part between them used to be so good that was when they were kids sneaking off to do it in Cole's truck. Bethany was Cole's first and only, and sex had always been easy between them. Once it had been too easy, and that was how little Colton came along. And suddenly, both of them weren't kids anymore. Cole's grades were slipping, and he'd taken to doing handyman jobs to pay for diapers. Bethany kept up with her classes, but she was always exhausted. Sex had been the furthest thing from either one of their minds for months now. Another deep breath, another swig of mouthwash, and then Cole made his way to the porch, wondering if he should bring her something. A gesture? Too late for flowers now, lover boy, he muttered to himself. The screen door squeaked open, needed oil that one too, and Bethany smiled up at him. She was sipping a beer and there were a few more in a cooler at her feet. You want one? You bet. You look beautiful. Bethany smiled wider. Those dimples of hers killed him dead every time. Why don't you come over here and sit with me? He nodded. Damn, he should have shaved. Again, too late. Then he remembered something else. How could he be so forgetful? Oh, shit. What? Asked Bethany alarmed. What's wrong? Wait here. I'll be right back. He called over his shoulder as he hurried into the house. Don't move a muscle. Two minutes later, he returned out of breath with the baby monitor in hand. Almost, forgot it. Bethany burst out laughing as the monitor crackled with static. Mood music? Cole could feel his cheeks redden. What, it's just... He looked at the baby monitor in his hand, then at his wife sitting there with a cold beer, wearing that dress. He started to laugh too. Aren't we romantic? Come here. Bethany took the monitor out of his hand and kissed him. He tasted like mouthwash. She tasted like beer. He kissed her back, harder. He was right about the dress. Cole led Holden and Umta deeper into sanctuary, through corridors most of the others probably didn't even know existed. In the end, Loki had agreed to stay with Amelia though Cole could tell he hadn't liked that one bit. But they couldn't bring her along, and it didn't make sense to haul her back to Inez and the others, back to the front line, where the worst of the fighting was happening, while she was still unconscious, at least. So Loki had drawn the short straw, so to speak. Menti probably had a better chance of surviving all of this than any of them, but Loki hadn't seen it that way. No one liked to be left behind. It was dark down there in the lower levels lit only by weak track lighting in some places, not at all in others. Cole had been down here a couple of times before. He'd found what he'd been looking for, too. A sturdy beam, strong enough to hold a grown man's weight, and high enough off the ground that a person could swing from it. Or hang. He brought the rope the next time, but he lost his nerve and ended up spending the night curled in a little ball in the corner, crying like a baby. He didn't like these halls, but that was where they needed to go. After a while, Cole realized he'd gotten ahead of the others, so he waited at a junction for them to catch up. Air whistled through the vents. Minutes passed, and he began to wonder if they really were lost somewhere behind him. Cole had just started to backtrack when Umta emerged from the tunnel. She looked almost surprised to see him. Worried I'd lost you, he said. Cole worked up a smile, which Umta didn't bother to return. Whatever. Umta was brave, Cole gave her that. But she didn't like to be indoors. Weeks spent underground had taken their toll on her. She'd lost weight, and the deep bags under her eyes said she hadn't been sleeping. Umta wasn't bred for living in a hole. Then again, who was? Holden came swiftly on Umta's heels. When Cole had last seen him, his new energy gun had been tucked into its holster, but now it was in his hands. Cole took special notice of that. Cole waved. Sorry, I was telling Umta I didn't realize you two had fallen so far behind. These deep tunnels are like a damn maze. Umta grunted and gestured that they should keep on moving. Let's just continue, said Holden. And you can tell us again how you found this place. Cole shrugged. Like I said, I want to be alone sometimes is all. It's this way, I think. He took the left hallway. Anyway, I like to explore, I guess. That was back before Oz started keeping such a close watch over everyone. One day, I came across this door down here with one of those handprint locks on it. I got curious, I started to open it, but then I heard Oz's voice telling me that under no circumstances was I ever to open that door. It's off limits, he said. Cole paused for a moment. Looking back, I should have seen that something wasn't right. I didn't think a machine could be paranoid, but the signs were there. Sorry I didn't mention it sooner. Don't worry about it, said Holton. If you're right, this could be the thing that gets us all out of this place. Cole nodded. You know, I expected we'd see more of his caretakers down here. Not that I'm complaining, mind you. Well, Thanks to Jingwei's keepers, Oz has his hands full with the battle up top. Stay on your guard, though, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Guess that makes sense. But it's kind of creepy, isn't it? Holden shined his light up ahead, another clear hallway. You mean all this? But Cole shook his head. No, I mean Jingwei. You saw half her head get burned off, didn't you? She was brave, said Umta.
1: She was a builder. This one is two,
2: Cole shrugged again. If you say so. They walked in silence for a while until they fell into a rhythm. Shine lights down the hall, make it to the next set of stairs down. Always down. You know, said Cole, after the third or fourth stairwell. Speaking of building things, that reminds me of something my daddy once said. Were you close with your dad? Asked Holden. No, nah, he was a son of a bitch when he was drunk, and he was just plain mean when he was sober. But he did take me fishing every now and then. We had a little two-seat rowboat we'd put out on Lake Charles, painted blue, like a baby blanket blue. Umta held up a hand, and they all stopped. She was tense.
1: I heard something down there. I will look. We'll all go,
2: said Holden. But Umta refused.
1: You make too much noise, even when you are not talking.
2: Silent as a breeze, she slipped down the stairs and was gone. Cole lowered his voice to a whisper.
1: She's snick eared in the cat in the grass, she'll be all right.
2: Holden mumbled something, but his attention was on the stairwell. Cole took that as permission to keep talking. So my daddy loved this boat, even though it was old as hell and kept springing leaks. Every summer, we'd find a new one, and it got so that we started replacing whole planks. Tried matching the paint, but it never looked the same. Anyway, this went on for a few years. Boat leaks replaced the plank. One summer, while we were working on it, I was pissing and moaning about this old boat this and this old boat that. My daddy looked at me and said, and I'll never forget it. He said, boy, why are you calling this boat old? We replaced so goddamn much of it that it's practically brand new. That got me thinking. When does something like that stop being the thing it was when you started fixing it? I mean, when does it become a different boat altogether? Holden sighed. Cole, I'm sorry, but what does any of this have to do with but Cole cut him off? Don't you see? My daddy and I remade that boat into something else, just like we were remade into other people. A real Cole? a real Holden? Hell, even Jing Wei died for the first time a thousand years ago. They're dead. And us? Well, we're just different boats. Holden didn't say anything. He just looked at Cole with that stupid expression on his face. What was it? Worry? Pity? Jesus, Holden? Can't you see how funny this all is? Holden opened his mouth to say something, but just then Umta reappeared on the stairs.
1: The way is clear. Whatever made the noise is gone now.
2: Annoyed, Cole brushed past Holden. The boy was useless. Good. Time's wasting anyway. Eventually, they made their way into Sanctuary's lowest levels. The air down there was stale and smelled of machine oil And the walls vibrated with a constant thrumming like a living thing. Holden explained that if Oz were anything like Arcadia, there were two ways to take him offline. The first would be to attack his heart, the fusion reactor deep below the bunker. Oz would die, but so would every living thing in a 50 mile radius. So if they couldn't safely strike the heart, then they needed to find the brain. The door's lock was keyed to a human handprint. It opened noiselessly onto a catwalk that spanned a massive turbine. The walkway bridged the turbine's slowly rotating blades and ended at another door on the other side. There, Cole pointed to the door. Past that, there's another short hall, then the final door. Must be Oz's brain. You sure wandered far, said Holden. Sunita said Oz wouldn't let her pass that last door. How'd you make it all the way down here? I don't know. I wanted to be alone. Maybe he didn't see me as a threat till I got too close. At that moment, they heard a distant boom of a massive explosion. The catwalk vibrated with a shockwave. What the hell was that? Asked Cole. I don't know, answered Holden. Maybe Jingwei's keepers are trying to blow the front door? It means they're getting desperate. Umta walked ahead. No time, hurry. Cole followed her across the catwalk, Holden behind him. Umta was sure footed, and Cole had trouble keeping up. He couldn't let her get too far ahead. Umta! Wait up! Umta turned around just as they heard another loud explosion. This one, however, shook the entire bunker. The catwalk lurched, something sprang loose, and suddenly Cole was knocked off his feet. He slid beneath the catwalk's guardrail and over the edge toward the grinding turbine below. But his gun, which was slung across his back, Caught on the railing and Cole was left dangling over the edge. Nothing between him and the turbine's blades but a nylon strap. The strap cut into his chest and Cole gasped in pain. Panicked, he flailed around for a handhold but couldn't find anything. The gun started to slip and Cole with it. But then two hands wrapped around his wrist. Hold on, shouted Holden. Umta had her arms around Holden's waist and Holden was leaning with all his weight over the catwalk to reach Cole. Cole swung his other arm up and grabbed Holden's wrist. Together, Holden and Umta lifted Cole over the edge until Cole could pull himself up the rest of the way. For a moment, Cole lay on the catwalk, trying to catch his breath. He winced as he rubbed where the gun strap had bitten into his chest. He pushed himself up to a sitting position and stared down at the grinding turbines. Hell of a way to go. Holden and Umta got to their feet. Without looking at either of them, he said, Thanks, both of you. Holden clapped him on the shoulder. Let's just finish what we came here to do. People are depending on us. The school bus always stopped at the corner of Route 4 and Huntsman, rather than make the turn onto what was little more than a dirt road. Bethany raised a fuss with the school board over Colton having to walk the half mile to and from the stop. But Cole didn't mind the boy getting a little more exercise. And to tell the truth, he enjoyed walking with his son. Some days they talked about fishing. They loved to take granddad's old boat out on Lake Charles on Saturday mornings. On today's walk home, Colton was talking about school, and it wasn't good. Tommy Lewis had sucker punched him during recess. And you didn't do anything to provoke him? Asked Cole. No. Dad, I told you he and his buddies were whispering to one another all recess, and then he just walked up and hit me. think they dared him to. Even though it had happened hours earlier, Colton had burst into tears the minute he'd stepped off the bus, the minute he saw Cole waiting for him. The poor boy had held it back all day long because he didn't want the other kids to call him a crybaby. If Cole were his own father, he'd have said Colton was a crybaby. His granddad would have told Colton to bring a roll of quarters to school the next day and knock out a few of Tommy's teeth. That afternoon wasn't the first time Cole had been thankful that the old man had drunk himself to death before Colton came along. As it was, Cole's son only knew his granddad from the stories. And those were the good ones, few though they were. Did you tell a teacher what happened? Asked Cole. His son shook his head. I'm not a tattletale. You want me to talk to your teacher? Colton hitched his book bag up on his shoulders. No, here, let's stop and sit. There was an old stump that marked the halfway to home spot. They called it the sitting stump. Cole produced a couple of apples from his bag and gave one to Colton. Thought you might be hungry for a snack. Colton wiped his eyes and munched on an apple. Cole rested his hand on his son's shoulder. There's no shame in letting a teacher or a parent handle this for you. You're eight years old, Colton. I know, but I still don't wanna. Colton was quiet for a moment before leaning into Cole's side. Then he said,
1: I love you, Dad.
2: Cole started to tell him he loved him back, of course he did. But the sudden lump in his throat stopped him short.
1: Oh, Dad, don't you
2: cry too. I'm not, said Cole, blinking away the tears. Mom says you cry at movies. Only when they kill the dog. Yeah, said Colton. No movie should be allowed to do that. Cole stretched and gazed up at the clouds, white cirrus clouds against a two blue sky. A jet flew far overhead, leaving a trail behind it. While he watched it go, he worked out a knot in his shoulder from baling hay all morning long. It really was a perfect day. Dad? Yeah, son. Colton looked up at him with those big brown eyes. Are you gonna kill Holden and Umta for me? Time's running out. Are you gonna kill them both? He breathed deep. He didn't want Colton to ruin the moment. Out here, even a dusty road smelled sweet. Yeah, I'm gonna kill them. He ruffled through his boy's hair with his fingers. Now let's quit gabbing and enjoy that beautiful sky. It really is a thing to see. To call the closed room Oz's brain was not quite right. Sanctuary's AI was everywhere. His consciousness glided through cables and floated above them in the cloud. But the geniuses who'd created Ozymandias didn't trust their own creation enough not to build in a safety measure, in case everything went wrong. The closed room was that measure, not a brain so much as a kill switch. He wouldn't have known just by looking at it. Holden placed his hand on the glass panel lock, and the door automatically slid open. Inside was a bare white room with a single plain console in the center. Cole had expected a lot more buttons. This was the last step. As they walked through the door, it was as far as he could go without choosing a side. Loyalty to his friends or promises to his son. All right, said Holden. It holstered his gun and his back was turned. The control panel works like the door lock. Arcadia showed me what to do. How do you know it'll work on Oz? Asked Cole. Arcadia told me that the station and citywide AIs were all built with a command code in case they started to malfunction. Unless someone changed it, it should work. But once we activate the sequence, there's no going back. Oz's consciousness will go first. Then we should at least have time to manually override the locks. Long enough for Jing Wei and the others to get the front doors open. Then the whole bunker goes totally dead. In a few hours, this place will be as cold and dark as a tomb. Umta joined Holden at the console. Do it. Holden placed his palm on the console. Cole caught a glimpse of a projection appearing in front of Holden. A universe of tiny lights, a map of the artificial intelligence known as Ozymandias. Holden's fingers played across the panel as the lights above started winking out, one by one. Cole focused instead on the back of Holden's head. He lifted his gun. He'd promised. Something moved out of the corner of his eye. Umta struck so fast Cole hit the floor before he knew what had happened. It knocked the wind out of his lungs. He tried to bring his gun up to protect himself, but she sank her teeth into his wrist, and the gun fell out of his fingers. What the hell are you doing? Holden shouted as he dragged the cavewoman off Cole. Gasping for breath, Cole rolled onto his side and cradled his bleeding wrist. He was going to kill you, growled Umta. Kill us. Holden looked from her to Cole and back again. What? What are you talking about?
1: He talks to himself when he thinks we are not watching, but I am always watching. He pointed his gun at your back. She's crazy.
2: Cole sat up cautiously, his eyes on Holden. I'm no murderer. Umta snarled back at him. I saw. Holden drew his gun and stepped between them. No one is killing anyone. Now just back off, both of you. Holden, man, she's lost it, said Cole. Being cooped up in these tunnels has driven her batshit. Cole's gun was only a few feet away. He started to stand, but Holden trained his pistol on him. Don't, said Holden. Come on, you can't believe her. No guns, Cole. Not until this is sorted out. Cole spat out a laugh. Says the man with the gun, enough. Umta, you said you saw him aiming at me?
1: Umta hesitated. He lifted his weapon. Your back was turned.
2: Jesus, I lifted my weapon because I was gonna sling it over my shoulder. Cole held up his bleeding wrist. I figured there wasn't anything here to be afraid of. Except you, I guess. Holden wavered. The gun lowered slightly. Umta, why would he? He's got no reason to hurt me. But the cavewoman pulled at her hair as she pleaded with him.
1: You children listen to words, but you don't see the way he moves, the way he looks at you. Something is troubling him, something bad enough to kill. Trust you, Umta, Holden, he is a traitor.
2: Holden began to pace, but Cole kept perfectly still, tense, ready to move. Why would he do it? In his agitation, Holden stepped in front of Umta, and for a second, her eyes were off Cole. He grabbed his chance. He rolled to his right and reached for the fallen gun. A lance of pain shot up his wounded wrist, but he ignored it. Cole snatched the gun up off the floor. Cole, stop! But he didn't. He took a gamble that in the split second Holden had to choose whether to shoot or not, Holden would choke. He was right. Umta leapt at him, but Holden was in her way. Cole swung his gun around and trained it on the cavewoman. Umta froze, her face a stubborn snarl. Holden aimed his pistol at Cole, his hands shook. Drop it, Holden, or I'll kill her, swear to God I will. Holden dropped his gun. It was Bethany's turn to say grace, which didn't seem fair because she went through all the trouble of making dinner and setting the table. Cole tried to tell her the least her boys could do was lead them in a little thanks before eating. Tuna casserole, Colton's favorite. He liked it browned on top, almost to black. A plate of fresh homemade rolls sat cooling on the table, and the buttery smell made Cole's mouth water. Bethany winked and said she'd say grace and they could do the dishes instead.
1: We thank you, Lord, for these blessings tonight.
2: Cole heard the words, but Bethany sounded distant, like a voice in a seashell. Something about the homemade rolls, the delicious smell made it hard for him to focus. Something was off. Wait, it's not right. Bethany stopped the prayer.
1: What's not right, honey? Did I get something wrong?
2: The rolls are too perfect. You never baked bread from scratch. You didn't know how. Colton shoved one of the rolls into his mouth.
1: Tastes good, Dad.
2: Cole ran his fingers along the tablecloth. You never baked because you're too tired. We lived on microwave dinners and frozen pizza. Suddenly the rolls and the casserole were gone and Bethany dished up slices of pizza onto paper plates. Eat up, boys, she said. God of my beat. Colton shoved a piece of pizza into his mouth.
1: Tastes good, Dad.
2: It was still wrong. It was like eating your favorite childhood cake only to find out the recipe had changed. Now it tasted like artificial sweetener and preservatives. Cole rubbed his fist into his eyes until he saw spots. He stood up and looked out the window. Fireflies flitted around the apple tree in the front yard. We never had an apple tree in the front yard. Hell, we never had a yard of our own, much less a house. Bethany wrapped her arms around his middle.
1: But isn't this better? Isn't it how you always dreamed?
2: A deep breath. A dream, but not real. She smiled and took his hand.
1: I'm giving you the life you didn't get to live. All I ask is for you to do one
2: little thing, because once it's done, we can be together forever. Colton needs a daddy. Yeah, dad said Colton through a mouthful of food. Don't talk with your mouthful, Colton, said Bethany. Cole's eyes stung. But he didn't have me as a daddy, did he? I died when Colton was just a baby and you, you lived alone. Hush now, cooed Bethany. None of that matters. But Cole kept talking, even as the tears ran freely down his face. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you, son. Colton laughed.
1: You're silly, daddy.
2: A great sob caught Cole in the chest and he leaned forward, digging his fingernails into the wood table. Splinters tore the delicate skin beneath his fingernails, but he didn't stop. The agony was just an illusion. Signals triggered by nanites in his brain. Oz had explained how this would work. It had started the night Cole had decided to kill himself. He'd picked out that spot, the room with the sturdy beam that would dangle a man from a noose. But in the end, he'd chickened out. Sick with shame and grief, Cole had been glad no one was around to see it. As it turned out, though, someone did see. Oz spoke to him that night and asked Cole what he would like to see most in the world, what would make him happy enough to keep on living. Cole answered, Bethany. And there she was. Just a hologram, but it sounded like her. Looked like her. They talked for hours, a game of make-believe. And why not? The real Bethany was long dead, yes, but so was the real Cole. What was he other than a shade of the man who he used to be? So when Oz offered him the chance to make it feel real, he said, yes. All it took was a little injection a fluid compound filled with specialized nanites into the base of his skull, and then he could slip into that make-believe world whenever he wanted. Seconds would feel like hours, a year could be a lifetime. He could be with Bethany, he could breathe fresh air, best of all. He could watch Colton grow up. He could be the father he'd always wanted to be. He hadn't known it would come at such a steep price. Coal?
1: Honey? Honey?
2: His wife's strong fingers massaged his shoulders as he cried into the tablecloth. We've been over this. I hate for it to happen, but this rebellion has to end. Holden's the leader, and if we kill him, the others will fall apart. Eventually, they'll come back to me. I can give them what I'm giving you. They'll see how I only want the best for all of them. For you, my love. Small fingers took Cole's hand and he looked down into his son's eyes. They wanna kill me, Dad. They wanna turn me off just because I wanna help them be happy. And Umta, she's not even human to
1: begin with, is she?
2: Bethany kissed Cole's bleeding fingertips. She kissed his mouth, barely brushing his lips with hers.
1: All you gotta do is pull the trigger, she whispered. All he had to do
2: was pull the trigger. Holden was talking. Holden was always talking, but Umta just stared at him. It was fitting, Cole supposed, that Umta, the watcher, should see this coming. Cole licked his lips, but his tongue was as dry as sandpaper. All he had to do was pull the trigger. You didn't answer me, Holden was saying. Damn it, Cole, answer me. What? I Answer what? Tell us why you're doing this, said Holden. If this is about me, then leave Umta and the others out of this. Shit, Holden, this isn't some sort of damn takeover. I don't care about any of that. All he had to do was pull the trigger. He has a son, said Umta. Cole waved the barrel of his gun at her. Shut up. But she didn't obey.
1: I have heard you talk to him- When you think we are not listening. I said, shut up. His name is Colton.
2: Cole took a step forward and pressed the nose of his gun into her face. Umta didn't flinch, which just made him angrier. Good. Maybe if she made him mad enough, he might work up the courage to do what he needed to do. Cole, said Holden. I know you had a baby boy. Nevea told me about him. He's not a baby snapped Cole. We all lost people, said Holden. We have that in common. You don't understand shit. Two sons, said Umta. What the hell was she talking about? All he had to do was pull the trigger. I only have one son, said Cole. She shook her head slowly.
1: Not you, me. I had two sons.
2: Cole locked eyes with her. All this time, he'd thought he was the only parent in the group. Holden was right when he said they'd all lost people, but Cole was the only one who'd lost a child. Or at least, that was what he'd believed. He hadn't even considered that Umta might have had children. If you lost your kids, then you understand how pointless this all is, said Cole. He backed up a step, but kept the gun trained on them. It's been a thousand years since we died. You died even longer ago, right? Now Jing Wei shows up. Jesus Christ, I could kill you both right here, and those damn caretakers could just order up two more off the assembly line. So what's it fucking matter? That's not how it works, said Holden. The caretakers blew up the station when Jingwei escaped. Whatever machine they used to remake us, it's gone now. If you kill us, we stay dead. You don't know that for sure, said Cole. Maybe there's another machine out there. Hell, maybe there's an army of Holdens just waiting for us on the other side of these hills. Wouldn't that be a kick in the ass? He cocked the gun. A bolt slid into the chamber, Cole's jaw tensed. He didn't want them looking at him anymore especially not Umta. Turn around. Holden paled. Cole. But Umta barely blinked.
1: I never asked for them back, Cole. I was alone with caretakers before you were all remade. Months, but I never asked them to remake my sons.
2: Sweat stung Cole's eyes. Why not?
1: You. No,
2: why, said Umta. The sweat ran down his cheeks, caught in this beard. Or were they tears? He could still feel the splinters beneath his fingernails, but he knew that if he checked, there would be no blood, nothing. Because it was nothing but a phantom, a dream of pain. Umta's eyes bore right through him.
1: You, no.
2: You didn't ask the caretakers to remake your boys because they wouldn't be real, he said softly. They wouldn't be your sons. Umta nodded as she placed her hand on her heart.
1: Their souls went to the after. Their Umta went with them. Me. I am not their Umta. I am yours.
2: Cole's finger slowly came off the trigger. I didn't ask for this. None of us did, Cole, said Holden. But whatever's doing this to you, let us help. Dad? Colton appeared at his side and looked up at him. People said he had his father's nose, but Cole could never really see it. Wait, no one said that, not really. You two can't see him, can you? See who? Holden asked quietly.
1: Dad, you gonna do it? Colton pleaded. Please, Dad, just pull the trigger. Unto was right.
2: This wasn't his son, and he wasn't Colton's father. Cole had been a Christian all his life. He'd believed in heaven, right up until the moment he learned his wife and son had been dead a thousand years. But maybe they were there, waiting for him, Maybe they were watching him now. Cole wanted to be with his real family. No phantoms. No nanite-induced hallucinations. It was time to end it. Now, before he chickened out again. Before Oz rewrote the story of his life so that even his memories were fiction. He tore his eyes away from Colton. I'm sorry.
1: Daddy, don't.
2: He lifted the gun. No. Umta leaped, she slammed into him, knocking them both off their feet. Holden slammed his hand down on the control panel. The universe of lights went out, and Colton vanished. Umta tried to wrestle the gun from Cole's hands. He felt it go off, the jerk, the sudden stillness afterward. A hot wetness spreading across his chest, but no pain came with it. Umta lay heavy on top of him, limp. Holden was there, pulling Umta off him, then cradling her in his arms. The blood on Cole's shirt wasn't his at all. It was hers. It flowed freely from the bolt hole between her breasts. Umta was dead. Cole closed his eyes and yelled. He dug his fingernails into his face so that he could feel real pain, and he screamed in rage and hurt and despair. He kept it up until he was finally exhausted, spent to the point of collapse. When he opened his eyes again, Holden was standing over him, holding Cole's own gun. Their eyes met. Holden's stare was steely, colder than Cole had ever seen from him before. For a long moment, neither of them moved. No one spoke. Then Holden brought the butt of the gun down on Cole's head, and everything went dark.
0: Remade is a Realm original production. You're listening to Remade Season 2 by Matthew Cody. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
1: Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic?
3: Ever since I was born... I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where
1: old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, For the last time, we're not kissing, (laughs) friends!
0: Remade is a Realm original production. Created by Matthew Cody and written by Matthew Cody, Andrea Phillips, E.C. Myers, Gwenda Bond, and Amy Rose Capetta. Produced by Lydia Shama and executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Starring Greg Tremblay and Laurel Schroeder. Audio directed, produced, and sound designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Amanda Rose Smith. Cover art by Liz Castle. Find more shows like Remade by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.